The way, the truth, and the life. In the sermon series, I Am. Spoken by Pastor Peter on. We're going to get right to the text. Let's look at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 18. We're in the section of John where this is just chapters away before Jesus Christ is crucified. Metro, this is Jesus' last dance, if you know what I mean, right? And, uh, and so what happens here is that Jesus is, had the last supper with his disciples. He, uh, Judas has left the scene. He's just moments away now of betraying Jesus. Jesus predicts that Peter will betray him three times. And now Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for his departure. This is his last dance. And here's what he says. Look at verse 1 of John chapter 14. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. So God, I pray, Father, that you would come today and Lord, that you would really speak deeply to us through this text. God, so many of us today perhaps really are confused, like Philip and Thomas. We don't know the way. It's really hard for us to live in the truth. It's really hard for us to live this life knowing that you claim that when we follow you, there is an abundance that we can encounter. And so, God, I pray in every home that's watching, I pray that you would fall with the presence of your spirit into that room. I pray that you would open up our ears and our eyes, that you would give us ears to hear so that what we hear today can transform our lives. I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in our homes would be indeed pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, chat amen. Amen. All right, so what we're going to do right here in this passage is that we're going to look at this passage and we're going to ask ourselves, really, uh, what, what does Jesus really mean when he declares that he is the way, the truth, 
and the life. So we are in the series called The I Am. For the last seven weeks, we started on Easter Sunday. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus teaches us these seven powerful truths that affirms, that declares his divinity. To help us to understand the divinity of Jesus Christ, all right? Many theologians call that Christology. Christology. And so Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. He's trying to prepare them for his departure. And it's going to be a hard process for them. Simply because these disciples have been living with Jesus for three years. Jesus knew that this wasn't going to be easy. That when he departs, he knew, he knew without a shadow of a doubt that his disciples would really struggle with his absence. So he's trying to prepare them through this time. And so he's trying to show them the way. And so the doubting Thomas says, where are you going? We don't know the way. Show us the way. And it's that when Jesus says in verse 6, one of the most powerful I am statements. He says, Thomas and to his disciples, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. And then he says, no one, absolutely no one can come to the Father except through me. What does that mean for us today? What does it mean for us today to know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life? That's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at these three powerful statements that Jesus makes about his divinity. And we're going to unpack that so that you and I can live deeper into that truth today. So let's start with the first one. I am the way. I am the way. What does Jesus mean when he is declaring that he is the way? Jesus wants us to grapple with a very powerful truth that is not politically correct. Jesus is not presenting a way, a way here, Metro. He's not even giving us one of many options. He's not declaring to us that he's a guide nor a leader that you and I should follow, that the disciples should follow. No, Jesus is making a very powerful declaration here that he's the only pathway towards salvation. He's the only way towards salvation. He's the only avenue towards salvation. Now, I know that's not very politically correct today. We live in a world where we want to be inclusive. We live in a world where we want to embrace all different types of faith. That's the world in which you and I live in, in today. And I do believe that even a lot of Christians today, we have come to the point in our own spirituality, in our own understanding, where we've allowed the world to affect the way we believe things, even in our faith in Jesus Christ. And we too believe that there are many paths towards salvation. Well, I want you and I to understand that through this passage, Jesus makes it very clear that there is no other way towards, fa towards the Father. There is no other way towards salvation but towards him. He's the only way to salvation. Now, let's try to unpack what that word salvation means. What does the word salvation mean? A lot of us, we would define salvation as going to heaven when we die. That's a result of salvation. It's not really the full meaning of salvation. What is the meaning of salvation? The meaning of salvation is simply this. You ready? It's about having a relationship with God the Father. That is what salvation means. Having a relationship with God the Father. Folks, when you go to heaven, what do you think you're going to be doing? A lot of you, we read in Revelation that we're going to be singing. That's part of it. There are a lot of other things we're going to do in heaven. But the primal thing that you and I will be doing in heaven, and it's going to be so rich and so powerful and awesome, is we're going to have the most intimate, the most perfect relationship with God the Father. Jesus is saying that I am the only way to the Father. He's the only pathway towards the Father. Why? Why does he say that? Look at verse 7. If you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, 
have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Jesus is saying that for him and the Father, they are completely one. He's not one with the Father because he's obeyed the Father completely. No, no, no. He's not making that kind of statement. He is saying that he and the Father are one. This is an ontological statement that Jesus is making. Why? Because before the world began, we know in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says what? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Jesus always existed with God the Father. Jesus is the only pathway towards God the Father. So, so when we declare to people... If people ask us, is there other ways to heaven? Is there other ways for us in order for us to be saved? We just have to utter what Jesus says. There really isn't. Jesus is the only way. Acts 4.12, here's what the apostle Peter says. He says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That's what Peter says. Why does he make that kind of a statement? Because in order for us to have salvation, which means a relationship with God, our sins need to be forgiven. That's why Jesus Christ is the only way. He's the only God who ever came into our history, died for us on the cross, resurrected from the dead for what? So that our relationship with God could be restored. Do you realize why God created you? In Genesis 1, do you know why God created you? He created you and me so that we can live in perfect relationship with him while we're here on earth. That is why God created us. But because sin has entered into the world, it has broken our relationship with God. And the reason why Jesus is the only way is because he has forgiven us of our sins through his death and resurrection. If we go to him and repent and confess, he will forgive us of our sins. Now listen, I know sometimes when you hear pastors talk about sin and how it breaks our relationship with God, sometimes for us we kind of tune out, don't we? I get it. But you and I both know how deeply painful it is when somebody we care about sins against us. We know that, don't we? How many times have we broken off friendships because of the sins that people have committed against us? How many times have we even left churches because we felt like people have sinned against us? How many times have we broken off relationships with significant others because of the sins that they have committed against us? Relationships would cease to exist if people continue to sin in our relationship with them over and over. Can you think about being married to somebody and they constantly cheat on us over and over and over again? Do you believe that you can actually have a relationship with a person that does that sin against you? Impossible. It's the same way with us with God. That because God created us for salvation, which is to have a relationship with him, our sins, when we sin, it breaks our relationship with him. And so the reason why Jesus is the only way, Metro, is because when we go to him and ask for forgiveness, Jesus Christ is the lamb of God. He sacrificed himself so that our sins can be forgiven and so that we can have a relationship with God. Can I get an amen? Chat it. Amen. Amen. It's so weird that you're not here. I would love to hear you say amen. One day this will happen where you'll be back and you'll hear, I get to hear the amens. We have sinned. We've cheated on God. Mainly with the belief 
that other things are better than God, like wealth, like success, like other relationships. And yet God still wants to be in a relationship with us. Isn't that crazy? And we can if we embrace the way, which is Jesus Christ, asking God for forgiveness. Now, how do we grow into that reality? How do we truly grow into a deep, intimate relationship with God? How do we do that? It's really through prayer, as you and I pray, all right? Let's look at verse 13. Verse 13. Here's what Jesus says. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, let me just kind of talk about that a little bit later, but I want to share with you the purpose of prayer or what we should be doing in prayer. There are three components to how we should pray, but one overarching uh, purpose of what prayer is really about. The first thing that we have to do in prayer is that we have to confess and repent of our sins. That's really key. Why? Because, again, our brokenness, our sins will often prevent us from having a relationship with God. So when we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, what happens is that God forgives us and we are now able to enter into a relationship with him. Confession is to confess what you have done, the sins you have committed to God. Repentance is different. You confess and then you repent. Repentance is about you making an active decision to not sin again. That's repentance, right? Really, the, the, the definition is turning the opposite direction of your sin, to confess and to repent. But After we do that, the most important component of prayer is to hear the voice of God. The purpose of prayer, Metro Community Church, is for you to be able to hear the voice of God. Last Sunday, Pastor Sanita preached a beautiful message about Jesus Christ being the good shepherd. Remember what Jesus Christ declares about himself? He says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know me, and they know my voice. Prayer is about you being able to hear the voice of God. And the only way that's going to happen is that we have to stop making our prayer times a monologue, and it needs to be a dialogue. We can talk, but we also got to give God space to speak. And the only way God can speak to us, Metro, is through silence. That we have to learn to be silent in our prayers so that we can hear from him. That's important here. Don't forget that. Now listen, just because you're going to be silent maybe tonight and tomorrow and for the next few days, don't expect God to speak to you right away. It, it, it requires you to build up a little bit more uh, uh, this, the ears to hear God. But I encourage you to go for it. It requires a little bit of perseverance, but be silent. Hear from God. Go to the scripture. Learn from him. And then after we hear from God and we listen to his voice, we spend some time in silence, Then we pray for certain things. And that's what Jesus asks for here. That's what Jesus says in verse 13. He says, ask anything in my name and I will do it so that the son can bring glory to the father. Okay, so for a lot of us, we take verse 13 and 14 and I think we've misinterpreted it. We believe that we can pray for literally anything and Jesus will say yes and bless us with it. That's not what he's saying, Metro. What Jesus is really saying in this passage is simply this. Your prayer request, the things you pray for God to do in your life, has to bring glory to God the Father and not you. So ask yourselves, the things that you're praying about today, is it about your glory or is it about the glory of God in Jesus Christ? Because the prayers that Jesus will answer are prayers that bring God the Father glory, not necessarily you. Do your prayer requests advance your kingdom or does it advance the kingdom of God? Prayer is truly the key practice, the spiritual practice, where we can embrace the way and develop this deep and intimate relationship with God. That's the first thing. Jesus says, I am the way. The second thing he declares about himself is simply this, I am the truth. 
I am the truth. Jesus is declaring that not only is he the way to the Father, but that he is the truth, meaning he is the authorized representative. He is the revealer of God the Father. Why is Jesus the only truth? Because he's seen God. He's the only one who's seen God. John 1.18, it says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relation with the Father has made him known. Jesus is not just some truth that you and I learn and you walk away from. No, that's not the kind of truth that Jesus wants you to embrace because I think for a lot of us, we see Jesus as sort of like like learning as we learn in a class. And some of you have. You've attended these spiritual formation classes. You've learned some good truths about Jesus and then you just kind of walk away. That's not the kind of truth that Jesus wants you and I to embrace. What he wants you to do is not, not sort of learn truths about him, but he wants you to belong to the truth. It's very different. You and I have to get to a place where we can belong to the truth of Jesus Christ. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 31. It's beautiful. John chapter 8, verse 31. He says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's not about Christianity And embracing the truth of who Jesus is is not about you just learning about him and walking away. Because a lot of you know Jesus Christ is the truth. But the deeper reality is about you belonging to that truth. And I'm telling you right now, one of the hardest things for Christians to do today is to belong to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Let me give you an example. If we can truly belong to the truth of who Jesus Christ is, then you and I would be able to affirm this powerful truth that our value and our worth has been settled at the cross. Amen? Our value and our worth has been settled at the cross. I think all of us can grapple with that with our minds, but the majority of us that are watching today, you don't belong to that truth. You don't belong to the truth that your value and your worth has been settled at the cross. And as a result of that, you know what typically happens to a lot of us? We start believing in lies. We start believing in these deep lies that oftentimes the enemy will whisper into our ears so that it it definitely penetrates into our souls. As we go through different stages of life, as we go through different hardships and failures and different things, we start to believe in lies. Lies that we're unlovable. Lies that we're a loser. Lies that we're stupid. Lies that we're nothing but a failure. During this season of COVID-19, maybe for some of you, these last two months of quarantine have been really hard. Maybe it hasn't been easy. And maybe you haven't been very proud of how you've lived your life for God during these last two months. And maybe it was even hard for you to log on to even watch this service because you feel in some ways that the way you have failed God doesn't give you the right to sit and even hear the word of God. I don't know if I'm speaking to any of you here, but if that's you, I need you to pay attention right now. Your worth and your value has been settled at the cross. Your worth and your value has been settled at the cross. What you do, what you don't do, does not determine your worth and your value before God. We truly are the children of God. And if we are children of God, in order for us to believe that, we have to belong to the truth. 
But for so many of us, we don't belong to the truth. And as a result of it, you know what happens? We live our lives as if we're orphans or as if we're slaves. We have to belong to this truth that we're children of God. We can't just say that we believe in it and walk away. We have to belong into that truth. That's not an easy thing to do, but we have to go deeper. You have to be people of God that begins to ask yourself, what are the lies that you're believing about yourself that causes you to fall away from determining your value and your worth in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross? What are the lies that we believe about ourselves? Last Saturday, my son and I, I've been training my son. Um, his coach is Coach Romolo. He comes to our church. My son is really into baseball. He wants to do the best he can to be the best baseball player he can possibly be. And so Coach Romolo has given him a very intense workout schedule. One of the things that he wants Christian to do is that he wants him to become faster in terms of his speed so that he can be a base threat, so that he can play the outfield really well and catch balls that are really far away from him and stuff like that. And one of the drills that he's coached us to do is that he needs to run um, as fast as he can for about 30 yards, but I hold like a rubber, like a huge rubber cord, and I hold him back. And he's running for about 30 yards as fast as he can, and it's resistance training, and then I let go, and when I let go, he darts about 70 yards. So he's running about one football field length. He does that five times, all right? Last Saturday and the fifth, we were doing it on a hill. Romolo says, do it on the hill. So we do it on the hill. And uh, the fifth time, I knew he was a little tired. And so I said to him, I'm going to race you. I'm going to give you a head start, though, right? Because, again, I'm behind you with the cords. When I let go, you're going to take off before me. I said, I'll give you a head start. Let's see who wins. And so we do that. Fifth time he's running, I let go, and he's running up the hill, and I am running as fast, and I'm holding that cord, and it's smacking me in the face, but I'm running, I don't want to lose, and guess what? I beat him. I beat him, and uh, I start to feel a throbbing ache on my left knee. Now, for those who don't know, I actually have a bad left knee, and it w I wasn't feeling too good about it, so we get back to the house, you know, and I just tell him, I was like, it's going to take a few more years before you can compete against your father. We finished the workout, and during that time, my son is talking some serious trash with me. He's saying, you know what? I was tired. Why don't you give me another chance, old man? He's like, give me another chance, and let's race on, a, on just a, a level street. He says, I guarantee you I'll beat you. And I said, no, 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 Christian. I was like, you know what? My knee's not feeling too good. I don't want to do it. And he said, yeah, you're scared, aren't you? You're scared that I'm going to beat you. And he just kept saying it over and over. And he got to me, and I said, all right, little man, let's do it. And so we go out into the street. And we race, right, level ground. And I was a little concerned that I might lose. But listen, for me, losing isn't an option. I will win at all costs, even if I have to injure my knee even more. And so we raced and we ran. And guess what? I beat him. I beat him. And when I beat him, I looked at him and I just said, yeah, man, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? And I, that might have been the greatest trash talk because I really am his father. But I, I just didn't know how else to do it. I said, who's your daddy, buddy? Who's your daddy? I start pushing him. I'm like, that's right. I get home, and that night, my knee is throbbing. I'm icing my knee. I go to church the next day, Pastor Clay, Pastor Mike's around. I tell them of what I did and how I beat my son. And Clay said this to me. He said, Peter, was it worth it? Was it worth injuring your knee to beat your son? And I looked at him. I said, you better believe it was worth it. I don't care if I injure my knee. I went home, and for about two, three times in that evening, I was icing my knee because I was in so much pain. And the last time I was icing, it was probably like 9 o'clock at night, I just started to unpack that. Why was it worth it? 
why do I have this need to always win? Why do I hate losing so much? I said, what's underneath those lies? See, it's not just because I like to win. But deep down inside, as I was kind of unpacking that, it comes really from my early childhood because I come from an abusive home with my father being physically abusive. Now, it's one thing if I did something wrong and my father would hit me, then I think I would deserve it. I could conclude that. But when you're a little kid and your father beats you for no reason, the only way kids interpret that at my age is that I must not be very valuable or lovable to my father. And that's why he's doing this to me. And for some reason, I believe that if I don't win, I feel like a loser. I feel unlovable. It was one of those holy moments that I got to, and I realized it's not worth it. And I realized how easy it is for us to forget that our value and our worth has been settled at the cross. Metro Community Church, you are a child of God. In order for us to belong, in order for us to embrace that truth, we have to belong to it, not just know it. My encouragement to you is really to spend some time unpacking what are some of the lies that you have told yourself during this quarantine that you still believe in that prevents you from knowing who you truly are. And that's why for some of us, when somebody critiques us, we take it so hard, we take it so personally. It's because you believe in too many lies. If you know that you truly and your value and your worth has been settled at the cross, you could even take feedback. And it's okay to lose because you know that you've really won in the long run because your value and your worth has been settled at the cross. Jesus wants you to belong to the truth, not just say you believe in it or learn these truths. The very last thing, Jesus says, I am the life. I am the life. The order here is really important because Jesus wants, in order for us to experience the abundant life, you know, Pastor Dan talked about the abundant life a couple weeks ago. The gateway towards Jesus leads to this abundant life. In order for us to have that abundant life, we have to know first that the only way towards the Father and having a relationship towards the Father, which is salvation, is through Jesus. And for us to belong to this amazing truth that our value and our worth has been settled at the cross, then we can experience the abundant life that God has for you and for me. And you know what the abundant life is? The abundant life is to have life with the Holy Spirit. Do you know John chapter 14 is probably one of the most robust, robust theological teachings on the, on the Trinity? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is the way, truth is Jesus, and life is the Holy Spirit. So many of us, honestly, we have settled for life, honestly, that in what the apostles call in the book of Acts, a baptism of John the Apostle. We settled for Christianity like that. And I believe that is sort of a, a second level type of Christianity. It's not the abundant life. What is the baptism of John? The baptism of John is just simply we've been taught that being a follower of Jesus is about God forgiving you of your sins and that's it. And I've, I have totally gone in that camp for a long time. It's so much more than that. Christianity is not just about God forgiving you of your sins. Why does God want to restore his value and his worth in you? Why does he want you to believe that you're a child of God? So that you and I could believe in the, live in the abundant life with the Holy Spirit. And so that's why in the book of Acts, there's a difference between the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus. The baptism of Jesus is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. 
It's about the Holy Spirit coming upon you. It's about the Holy Spirit being filled within you. It's about exercising and growing in this one thing called spiritual authority. Now, I know for a lot of us in this, that are watching today, we've had some painful encounters with people who have been filled or who have the Holy Spirit. And we're just going to talk a little bit about how Jesus wants you and I to understand the Holy Spirit, how he wants us to learn about him. Look at verse 15. Look at how Jesus calls the Holy Spirit. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. So the Holy Spirit is the advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is our advocate. That word in the Greek could be translated as paraclete. A paraclete is somebody who comes alongside of you. In Greek literature back in the first century, a paraclete or an advocate is someone who comes alongside of you to protect you and to give you wise counsel. Why wouldn't we want that kind of baptism of the Holy Spirit? Why wouldn't we want the Holy Spirit to give us counsel and protection. Wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't I, I, I want that. But I think for a lot of us, because maybe we've encountered some, some, some interesting things in our lives through the people who, quote, unquote, say they have the Holy Spirit, we've kind of run away from it. For some of us, we're afraid. The truth is, for a lot of Christians today, we're not living the abundant life, and we've chosen a different level of a life with God that is devoid of the Holy Spirit living within us so that we can act in a spiritual authority. And a lot of us have just kind of compromised, and we haven't lived the abundant life. But the abundant life doesn't happen, Metro, unless you go to the Father through Jesus Christ because he's the way. It doesn't happen until you sort of belong to this truth that your value and your worth has been settled at the cross. And we don't live the life until we embrace the Holy Spirit and we allow him to guide us and to protect us. But there's one reason why the Holy Spirit does that. Why does the Holy Spirit guide and protect you? Is it just so that you can live a nice, good, healthy American life? so that you can just do your thing? No, there's a reason why. And the reason why is simply this, so that you and I can grow in spiritual authority. Jesus doesn't just give us the Holy Spirit so that we can live a blessed and comfortable life. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can grow in our spiritual authority. Look at verse 12. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works. Jesus is saying anyone who believes in me will do the same works. Just think about the statement. I have done, he says. And then he says, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. Let me just read that again without any interruption. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. This is such a powerful statement that Jesus is making here. Now, please understand one thing. You are never going to be greater than Jesus Christ. Never, ever, ever will you ever be greater than Jesus Christ. No one else will ever die for our sins. No one else will have preexisted before this world began, but Jesus Christ. That's not what Jesus is getting at here. What Jesus is saying that people like you and me, average people like you and me, if we will allow this, the life to come upon us, which is the Holy Spirit, to fill us with spiritual authority, we can do the works that Jesus has done. What kind of works has Jesus done when you and I read the Gospels from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? What kind of works? Jesus taught the word of God, which is important, and he may want you to do that too. But what are the other works that Jesus did? 
He demonstrated God's power, didn't he? He demonstrated the power of God by healing people and setting the captives free. Free from what? Free from demons. Free from demonic forces. And so the life that Jesus has dreamed of you and I to live today is simply this. It's for us to know that through prayer we would find the way to the Father. For us to know that our value and our worth has been settled on the cross. And for the Holy Spirit to give us a life where he will protect us and guide us to what? To do the works of Jesus Christ. To demonstrate his power. To set the captives free. There are so many people today that are struggling in their dire need of people of God to pray a blessing upon them, to deliver them from the dark forces sometimes that overcome them. How do we grow in spiritual authority? That's a really important question. How do we grow in spiritual authority? It's through one thing only. It's through obedience. Look at verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments. And then Jesus says, I will then give you the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you want to grow in spiritual authority, if you want the Holy Spirit to fill you, if you want him to baptize you, you and I have to live our lives in obedience to him. A lot of us, we used to believe that obedience leads to salvation. That is the worst theology of all. Salvation is free. Your obedience will never allow you to receive salvation. Jesus Christ has created salvation through his death and resurrection. Amen. Amen. But understand this. Obedience is required of you and me so that we can grow in spiritual authority. Why? Because when we obey God, it allows us to be in sync with God so that we can hear him, so that he can guide us and lead us and speak to us to bless and to help people minister to them so they can be set free. Look at, what, look at what Peter says, the apostle saying in Acts 5.32. Acts 5.32 says, we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. The apostles are saying that the Holy Spirit was given to them as they obeyed God. Obedience leads us to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can grow in spiritual authority so that God could use us to demonstrate his power. I want you to hear me on this one more time. God wants to use the life that he's dreamed for you and me isn't just to live the way we may be living right now. The life he's dreamed for you is that you would embrace him in such a way that the Holy Spirit will come upon you in full power so that you can demonstrate his power and set the captives free. If I'm going to confess to you, for the past 16 and a half, for about 16 years, maybe 15 and a half, I have really run away from this teaching that I just taught you in this passage. Because in college, I grew up in a very charismatic fellowship. And the people were ultra charismatic, and we believed, we spoke in tongues, we did a lot of different types of things. And for the most part, it was really a good experience, but the thing that hurt me the most was the leadership. The pastoral leadership in my fellowship group was, was not very healthy. They were immature, and they really used their spiritual authority to really, like, force us to do things. It almost felt like a cult. Even if we didn't want to do things, they'd force us to do it. And so when I planted Metro Community Church many, many years later, I said I will never, ever pastor a church like that, what I experienced in college. And so I went the complete opposite way. And it wasn't until July of last year where I started this uh, doctoral program at Alliance, where God began to start to heal some of the things that I experienced 
what he started to show me again of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That the reason why I am here on this earth and the reason why I've been called to be a follower of Jesus is to demonstrate the very power of God by helping and sending people free. And guys, you know, some of you know that I fasted for 40 days from August to September last year. And the primary reason why I did that was because I wanted God to fill me with his spiritual authority. And over the past several months, I have seen God work in ways that I just scratch my head even till this day. And maybe one day I will share it with you, but what I've come to realize is simply this, is that God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. He wants you to grow in spiritual authority so that you can experience the abundant life, so that you can set people free. Because there's so many people today that are hurting and dying. There's so many people in this world today that can't belong to this truth, that their value and their worth has been settled on the cross. They can't believe it because they have allowed dark forces to come into their soul to, be, to teach them these lies that they've believed in their entire life. And God is calling, I don't know why God does this, but he's calling you and he's calling me to set them free. So today, will you see Jesus as the way Will you go to the Father through your prayer time? Will you embrace him in that way? Will you belong to the truth that your value and your worth has been settled on the cross? And will you experience the true life where the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you get to exercise the spiritual authority that God has given to you so that you can demonstrate his power and set people free? Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to do a couple things today. If you're watching today, and maybe this is your first time, and maybe you've been watching for a few weeks now, and you have never said yes to Jesus Christ, you've never said yes to him, I want you right now at this moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Would you please pray this prayer? Father, I come to you, and I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I pray that you would forgive me for all of my sins. Wash me white as snow. And Father, I pray that you would allow me now to live in a relationship with you in a deep and intimate way. If you've prayed that prayer, the heavens are rejoicing because you have said yes to Jesus. And the promise of that is that you will have a relationship with God here on earth, but also in eternity with him. It's a beautiful thing. But the second thing I want to ask, and if you were here, I would ask you to come to the front, but I'm going to ask you to stand. If you want the Holy Spirit to fall upon you, to fill you with his authority so that you can grow in authority, I'm going to ask you to stand up right where you are, wherever you are in your home, if you want the Holy Spirit to do that. And I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would do that right now, that he would come and fall upon you. So just stand right there. Jesus sees you. Holy Spirit, come. And I pray that for every person standing in their homes right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fall upon them right now the way you fell upon Apollos and the Corinthian church in Acts when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would fill them. And God, that you would believe that they would be able to belong to this powerful truth, that their value and their worth has been settled on the cross. 
And God, that they would walk with you so intimately, God, that you would use them as they would grow in their spiritual authority to demonstrate your power. They would set the captives free. I pray you would bless them. I pray you come upon them and fill them so they can live into the spiritual authority. And lastly, I want to pray for those who are watching and you're sick. If you're physically sick, something is wrong with you. Whatever it might be, I want you to stand and I want you to touch that area of your body where you're not feeling well. And if somebody's with you, could you have them maybe touch it? Particularly if your children are with you. Have your kids lay hands on you. And I'm going to pray for physical healing right now. Whatever it might be. I'm going to pray that God heals you. Jesus, I pray that you would come. And I pray that as my brothers and sisters have touched the area of their bodies that are hurting right now, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would heal them. Heal them completely. May they know that your love and your grace and your power is true. Bring healing into their lives right now. And God, I pray for anyone that's watching, where they feel tormented at night, where they have nightmares and terrors, where they constantly believe that they are not much. I pray that you would deliver them from the evil one in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to draw your attention to the communication card, if you will. Um, there's some really next steps. These next steps will transform your life, I promise you. And um, I want you to go there. If, if you're new and you don't have the app, uh, just go to emetro.org backslash Sunday and click on communication card. These next steps, you're going to probably want to take a photo of it on your phone because they're so important. They're so important. First, if you've committed yourself to Jesus for the very first time, please check that off and we will get back to you. If you've committed yourself to Jesus for the first time, all right, if you've never said yes to him, please check that off. Second, I will begin a prophetic prayer journal. Let me just explain to you what that is. I've encouraged all my kids to do this, and I want to encourage you. Get a journal and make it a prophetic prayer journal. What does that mean? When you're silent, I want you to hear what God may be speaking to you, and whatever God speaks to you, just write it. Stop focusing on whether it's your voice or whether it's God's voice. Just start writing whatever you hear. Okay, start that journey and you'll begin to recognize the voice of God more and more as the weeks and as the months and as the years go by. I guarantee you, start a prophetic prayer journal. Third, I will receive prayer today via the Zoom prayer room. Please, I will receive prayer today via the Zoom prayer. We're going to just do that in just a moment. Uh, fourth, this book will change your life. I will read Surprised by the Voice of God by Jack Deere. If you want to hear God's voice, this, I don't know, a better book that's written that teaches you how you can hear the voice of God. If you're serious about this, you got to study it. Read this book. Jack Deere is a former Old Testament professor, right? Fifth, I will find an obedience accountability partner. I think it's important for you to find somebody where you can share with them an area where you want to begin to obey God and let them keep, and let them keep you accountable to it. Where is an area where you're struggling with obedience? Sit with someone, Zoom them, and say, could you keep me accountable so that I can be obedient to this thing? All right? Please do that. And then the last thing, this prayer, I guarantee you, will change your life. Every day, if you can pray it 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 times a day, pray this prayer. I will pray, Father, grant me power from the Holy Spirit to love Jesus the way you love him. Father, grant me power from the Holy Spirit to love Jesus the way you love him. Jesus prays that prayer in John chapter 17. 
He says, Father, would you please allow them to love me the way you love me? Remember that in John 17, 26? He prays that prayer. That's the prayer. Father, grant me power from the Holy Spirit to love Jesus the way you love him. You pray that prayer every day, I guarantee you, you will become so passionate about Jesus Christ, it will overwhelm you. Lastly, I want you to know, if you have never received pastoral care from anyone in our church, any, anyone, any one of our pastors, um, and you would like to because you're going through a hard time right now, I want you to go onto our app or go onto our Sunday page and uh, go to the care and crisis on the app. And in there, they'll say, they'll, there's, a, there's a, an app on our app, a tab that says pastoral care. Click on that. And if you've never received any pastoral care from one of our pastors here in this church, if you have, then don't fill it out because you've already received pastoral care. But if you have not, fill it out. There's a form that you fill out, and we will get back to you this week and set up a time where we can connect with you and at least pray for you. All right? 